probably a good Sunday for me to give you a bit of an update on what's going on in the Bahamas. Many of you uh, know that, that I'm part of a team that flies relief supplies and, and people back and forth. Um, and with the exception of what's sitting out here on the table now, uh, we've delivered everything you've given. And some of you are asking, um, what next? What else do you need? And the word we've kind of tried to get to you is standby. Because the situation is evolving. The, the first few days were really a rescue operation. Uh, get people off the islands that were devastated. They didn't have electricity, they didn't have food, they didn't have water, they didn't have shelter. They needed to get someplace where those things were, were possible and available to them. So it was, it was a matter of getting people off islands, getting injured people, medical care, and yes, they needed water, yes, they needed food, yes, they needed clothes, yes, they needed a toothbrush. Um, if you want to know what the needs are in one sense, you know, I was thinking as I was studying up in one of the, the empty rooms upstairs, let's just put you in an empty room, and that's what you've got. You don't have a closet. You don't have a pantry. You, you, you don't have a medicine cabinet. You've got what you walked out of the house with because there was no house. So what do they need? The answer is kind of everything. But after delivering everything you gave, which was so critical because it was there right away, trucks started to come. Monday, 28 pallets, generators, food, clothing. I have 900 pairs of shoes we need to get over there, boxes of socks, uh, did everything. Uh, yesterday, another 14,000 pounds came. Every time we get to where we can start to see the floor a little bit more of the hangar where we're storing it till we can get it over, another truck comes. And so we're in a good place right now. We've, we've got stuff over there and now we're being very careful um, to make sure that, that uh, it's a specific need that it's going to so it's not wasted. Um, and, uh, and we're flying that kind of stuff over still. And we will eventually put out a call to say they need this or they need that. But right now there is food, there is clothing, there are personal toiletry items, blankets are showing up, towels are showing up, and so give them a little time to, uh, to just take stock of what they have and what they need. Uh, give us a little time to take stock of what we have. It's hard to inventory 50 tons uh, when, when that's what you've got sitting in the hangar, but it's wonderful. It's just been awesome <coughs> to see the grace of God just pour through his people, pour through you, pour through people I've never met, you'll never meet, they'll never meet, that send truckloads. It's an amazing thing to be a part of, and you're a part of it. And it's going to shift to rebuilding. Marshes hit hard, it looks like a bomb went off, but the news doesn't show you everything. Um, when a house isn't knocked over, they don't show you that picture. And there's a lot of houses that made it. They tend to be newer construction. They tend to be cement block construction instead of wood. There's houses that made it, quite a few of them. Uh, and they're rebuilding. A lot of them lost shingles. A lot of them have water damage. A lot of them are going to need electricians and other people because salt water has flooded the bottom floor, but the house is there. And so there's going to be need for teams and, and donated building supplies and all sorts of other things like that. And as we clarify those and, and make sure that they're going to go to the right people for the right reason, we'll, we'll let you know what they are. And, and when I let you know what they are, when K 
you know what they are, or Jose, I know what's going to happen. If we say, hey, they need hammers, there's going to be 200 hammers there the next day. I mean it. Because we said, well, we're not sure, but let's start with rice and beans, because that's dehydrated, and we can carry a lot of nutrition in, in a compact, fairly lightweight uh, form. They got a lot of rice and beans, folks. <laughs> I said, don't worry, when you're tired of rice and beans, you're going to have beans and rice. Um, but, but here's why this is so appropriate for today. Not only did some of you have been asking to say, okay, well, where is it? What can we do? What do they need next? But because the text that we're going to look at is kind of unusual. When we didn't really have to say anything to you, you called the church and you said, what do you need? And there, there, was, there was no extensive emails, no please, no give till it hurts kind of stuff that went out. It was just information. They need food, they need water, dry clothes, toothbrush, it shows up. That's generally the way it is in the New Testament. You don't find Paul or really any of the others writing long missives saying, please give, please give, please give. It's pretty odd if you find anything more than just a word or two, a verse or two about giving in, in particular needs. But there is an exception, and it's the exception we're going to look at this morning. It's 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and chapters 9, if you want to turn there. Does anybody not have a Bible? I know we always have some spare ones back there. Raise your hand if you don't. I see one there. Anybody else? Okay, hold them up if you need one, and we'll, we'll get one to you. Paul writes two full chapters about a single offering that he wants to be taken for the needy saints and two full chapters in light, I probably wouldn't have seen this before, but in light of the last two weeks, where we barely wrote two full sentences and you guys swamped us with generosity, when Paul writes two full chapters, it gets my attention and it makes me wonder, well, are you folks just more generous? Are 21st century Christians so much more generous that we just need a sentence or two and things just flow? And first century Christians were kind of stingy? And so Paul's got to write two chapters to say, hey, folks, cough it up. It's not what's going on. In fact, the example we're going to see is an example of generosity in the midst of affliction and need that we might never have the opportunity to live up to. There were some amazing givers and some amazing churches in the early church. And so you've got to wonder, why two chapters? Why go on and on and on about a single offering to a single church that he's collecting from the churches in Corinth and in Macedonia? And there's a sense in which Paul wonders, why am I writing so much? He says, 2 Corinthians 9.1, now it is superfluous, it's extraneous, it's not really necessary for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So a rough translation of that verse, single sentence would be, I really don't have to say anything about this because you're ready to give, but I'll write two chapters anyway. That's not like Paul. It's the sort of thing that gets my attention, at least, and causes me to ask, what, what's going on? Why does he write two chapters to people that he says, you're already zealous, and I know you're going to? My conviction, my conclusion, based on what Paul writes in these two chapters is simply this. 
Paul's not concerned about whether or not they're going to give. He's not concerned about whether or not they're going to open up their wallets and be generous for the saints in Jerusalem. He is concerned about why they will give. Because to Paul, and I would argue to God, motive matters more than money. It's a dangerous thing to say to a church that's trying to pay down their debt and bring in a new pastor and expand and do other things. But motive matters more than money. You want to get a sense of just how important this is to God? Look with me. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Now, I don't know why this is doing that, Casey. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The two chapters that Paul writes are superfluous. They don't need to be written. If all Paul wants is for people to give. It's not all he wants. He wants people to give in a way that God loves. He loves their giving and he loves them. And he says what that way is. He says God loves a cheerful giver. It's so important that we get this right. Paul wrote to the same church. An earlier letter, 1 Corinthians 13, you all know that chapter well, but do we? 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give away all I have, there's an offering right there. Paul says you can liquidate everything. You can sell the house, the car, the boat, cash in the 401k, and you can give it all away. And when you're done giving money, guess what? You can give your life. You can go over to Marsh Harbor and spend the rest of your life helping them clean up and rebuild and die of cholera. And they'll burn your body. You can deliver up your body to be burned, but have not love. He says, I gain nothing. It's one of the most in-your-face verses in the Bible. You, you can give it all, including your life. And if your motive is wrong, it doesn't do any good. It profits you nothing. One of my goals today is that we increasingly become a people who give a lot and serve a lot and risk a lot and have it count for everything instead of nothing. And the difference between an action counting for everything and that same action counting for nothing is motive. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul calls it love, in the text we're going to look at, he calls it joy. We've already seen he calls it cheerfulness. And he's also going to call it love in this passage as well. And I'm going to argue, and I hope you'll see, that there's almost no difference between any of those terms in Paul's mind. Christian love is joyful. Christian love is cheerful. And if it's not there, the most sacrificial gift, including that of your life, Paul says, counts for nothing. That's blunt, folks. And I realize it's blunt, but the Bible is blunt. The word is living and active, and it will lay your heart out there. Somebody said, and I think it's, it's very well said, we do not study the word so much as the word studies us. The word just lays us out there. What's your motive? Why are you doing what you're doing? So today is about motive. And about whether you gain everything or whether you
weaving in giving and serving together without really defending it because I'll admit 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is about an offering. It's about that kind of giving. But this sermon's not about money. It's not. It is about motive. We saw in 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul says, you, you can give, and then he switches very seamlessly to say, and you can die. You can give your life till you die. And if you have not love, it counts for nothing. He says, just a little bit later, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, we won't go this far in 2 Corinthians, but I'll read this one verse. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Paul doesn't have any money. He can't write out a check to the Corinthians. What does he mean? He means I'll give my life for you. I will suffer for you. I will plead for you. I will face down false teachers for you. I will give everything I've got for your souls. But how will he do it? I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That sounds a lot like a cheerful giver. I will most gladly do it. Don't have money, but I'll give you my life. And so I'm serious when I say this isn't about an offering. This is about motive and how it affects everything you do, which includes offering, but it also includes service and everything else. So I'm absolutely convinced that Paul writes two chapters not because he's worried that the Corinthians won't be generous, but because he's worried about why they'll be generous. Why will they give what they give? <coughs> Motive matters more than money. All that's introduction. That's why we're looking at what we're looking at. That's why Paul wrote, I believe, what he wrote. I want us to give and to serve in a way that God looks at that and he says, not just I love that, but I love him and I love her. Because it doesn't say God loves cheerful giving. It says God loves a cheerful giver. There's something. You can be loved by God as a converted, adopted, reconciled, sins washed away Christian. And there's still a kind of love that he reserves and gives to those who give cheerfully. So, what does Paul do? to encourage this in the Corinthians? What does he do to see to it that it's not dutiful, that it's not obligatory, that it's not done out of, good, out of guilt? He does three things, at least. One, he gives them an example to imitate. 2 Corinthians 8.1 We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Churches in Macedonia are having a tough time. 